Cheerio, dames and chaps. I'm Braden Cromar, and that was my poor impression of a British accent. Welcome back to Finest Hours, the show where we share amazing true stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. I'm joined by co-host Hayden Hansen, and of course, our smashing, but otherwise cheeky executive producer, Skylar Williams. Hello, chaps. Just you joining us, and hopefully what will be a brilliant show. Wow, that was actually much better than I expected. (laughs) Well, as you know, I'm I'm actually British, so maybe 300 years ago. <laughs> so, what's with all the British slang? You may ask. Well, for today's story, we need to take you back to Great Britain in the early 1900s, because today we're talking about Sir Ernest Shackleton and his polarizing expedition to Antarctica. Brace yourselves for a gripping tale of survival in the most dire of circumstances. All right, so. Ernest Shackleton was an avid explorer, and he was always drawn to the Antarctic. His expedition, the one that we're going to be focusing on, was a quest to traverse the continent of Antarctica by foot and be the first party to ever cross the entire continent. Shackleton had been on two earlier voyages trying to reach the South Pole. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to be the first one to do that. It was, I hope I don't slaughter his name, Roald Amundsen was the first one to reach the South Pole. And he was so, a Norwegian gentleman, wasn't he? I, I believe so. I don't know how to do a Norwegian accent, so I'll just keep it at that. It's much more challenging than a British accent. It is, it much is. Less, much less familiar. <laughs> exactly. So because... Ernest wasn't able to be the first one to the South Pole. This is what he said about his defeat. The discovery of South Pole will not be the end of Antarctic exploration. He then decided to set his sights on going across the continent of Antarctica from sea to sea. So with this, he got his men. One interesting thing about the men, uh, a lot of the men were included because of the people that were funding Shackleton's expedition. So Shackleton was most interested in exploration and doing something new, but the people that were most likely to fund and be the funding parties were scientists. And so they had a geologist, they had photographers, and they had a lot of other people that were heavily involved in the sciences that were sent along because that's the only way that they could get money to fund the journey. And because this was so close to the start of World War I, Shackleton kind of had some problems getting men to commit to go to Antarctica because they weren't sure if the war was about to start. And actually, as they first sailed off on August 1st, that was the same day that Germany declared war on Russia. Yeah, tensions were brewing in Europe, and they had no idea that the skirmish that was about to break out was going to be a four-year-long conflict. So Shackleton posts an ad in the, one of the local newspapers in London, and we have that ad, and we'd like to read that. It states, Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, Safe return doubtful. 
honor and recognition in case of success. He signs it his name and his address. So it's not very compelling. It's not something that I think a lot of people would have signed up for. But regardless, plenty of men applied for the expedition. And Shackleton's interest in recruiting was more, he was more interested in the men's character than he was of their Arctic expedition experience. All right. So Shackleton and his crew set sail from London uh, to head to South Georgia Island. And so those are the South, it's right next to the South Sandwich Islands, which the regular Sandwich Islands, that's like Hawaii. I think that South would be more beautiful but it's east of Argentina, very near the bottom of the world. Yeah. So instead of heading to paradise in the Sandwich Islands, they're going a little bit further south, and it's just barely north of Antarctica. So they call South Georgia Island the gateway to the Antarctic. That's where a lot of people would stop in preparation to go to Antarctica. So some of the people that went with Ernest Shackleton consisted of an artist, a photographer, a biologist, a physicist, a meteorologist, a geologist, and two surgeons. They had a carpenter. They had a lot of people that were experienced sailors as well. They were primarily funded by the scientific community, so that's why they had so many scientists with them. And they also took 69 dogs to help them cross the continent. That's a lot of dogs. That is a lot of supplies that needed to be pulled across, right? They were Canadian wolf dogs. Canadian wolf dogs. Canadian wolf dogs. Are these huskies? Bigger than huskies. It's probably a mix between a Alaskan Malibu and wolves. So massive, massive dogs. Yeah. To give you an idea of the leadership of Ernest Shackleton, he cared so much about those people that were coming with him. As Braden had mentioned earlier, these people weren't extremely experienced in expeditions. These were just people that had good character. One of his crew members lost his mittens, and Shackleton offered to give him his mittens. They had other gloves, but they were nowhere near as nice. The crew member refused and said, no, I, I would never take your mittens. That, There's no way. Those are yours. And so Shackleton proceeds to threatened to toss the mittens overboard that if you won't take them, well, I'm not going to wear them. So you better take them. And guess what? That crew member then had a very nice pair of mittens. Which I find hilarious. It's almost like a Monty Python sketch. You there, why are you not wearing your mittens? (laughs) Sir, I seem to have misplaced my mittens. You've misplaced your mittens on a voyage to the Antarctic? (laughs) It's only slightly foolish. Just a little bit. (laughs) You there, take these mittens. No, sir, those are your mittens. See to it that you take these mittens or I shall throw them overboard and no one will have the bloody mittens. (laughs) I'm sure it went something very, very close to (laughs) Maybe a little bit more extreme with the British slang. So as they're traveling towards Antarctica, it continues to get more and more cold, and they are uh, navigating through pack ice, which is giant, giant sheets of ice that are floating on the surface outside of the continent. And so not not glaciers, not glaciers, glaciers. no, not that massive. They are just giant sheets of ice, uh, almost like land. Okay, is this time for our podcast vocabulary? 
It's time for elementary school vocabulary. Dun, dun, dun. Skylar, you're up. Tell us, what is the difference between a glacier and an iceberg? So I think glacier. it's the same thing, isn't it? Absolutely not. No. So That's Skylar answer. Yeah. So think about this. A glacier is something that the Titanic hit and sunk. That's not true. Oh. They hit an iceberg. Oh, uh, iceberg. We suck at history. I, I, why did I say glacier then? I should have said iceberg. Say it again. I was thinking glacier. So iceberg is a massive ice chunk floating in the water. Normally you see, what, like 15 or 10% of the actual iceberg above the water. And then the majority is underneath. And so that's pretty dangerous. But also pack ice is going to be more of like a thin layer. And that's going to go on for miles and miles. And it slowly kind of builds up and then merges together. So very dangerous, both, but different things. But pack ice is something that you can navigate through. It's a pain in the butt, especially in a wooden ship, which is what they were sailing, the Endurance, if we haven't mentioned the name of the ship yet. So as they're sailing through the pack ice, men have to get out of the ship, get out, start breaking up the ice and creating paths for the Endurance to sail through. I don't know what the temperatures would have been, so I won't say. If it was 28 degrees and sunny, then it became slushy. So that's like... High 20s is where they started running into springtime-like problems. Yeah, and it was at this point that they were experiencing some of that warmer weather because they were able to break up some of this ice. The colder it got, the more harder it would have become. The ice would have become much, much thicker, and it would have been harder to do. They try to break some leads for the ship to sail through, but the endurance does inevitably become trapped in the ice. And they're unable to free the ship. And Shackleton says, well, I guess we're going to be making camp here until the spring, boys. Well, I should have, I should have done a British accent for that. But you should have. Maybe our listeners don't want to hear me do British. Skylar, would you like to, to attempt this? Boys? Oh, that was weird. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> I didn't attempt anymore. I did more of a southern draw. <laughs> well, uh- Valiant effort. I think. Well, chaps, it appears that we will be camping here for the winter. That wasn't, that wasn't <laughs> kind of like Irish. <laughs> wasn't very good. He was Irish English. He was, he was yeah. He's, he was an Anglo-Irishman. Interestingly, the seasons are reversed in the Southern Hemisphere than they are in the Northern Hemisphere. Why? So spring becomes winter, fall becomes spring. I don't know because I'm not an expert in weather systems or geology or elementary science fact of the day the seasons are caused by the tilt of the earth that's right and depending on where it's at in its rotation in in um reference to the rotation it's revolution (sighs) revolution is a trip around the sun and a rotation is the spinning of the earth on rotation has nothing to do with it rotation makes day and night tilt makes seasons and that's correct and revolution is responsible for also the season (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's close enough not i'm gonna have very good on this you're playing are you smarter than a fifth grader right now are you smarter than a fifth grader i'm going to re-say this the seasons are reversed in the southern hemisphere than they are in the northern hemisphere 
because the tilt of the earth and its position in its revolution of the sun determines the seasons. Is so, that correct, Hayden? That was not bad. Hayden is the smartest person on this podcast, so I'm going to clear everything through him. So completely different from what Shackleton and his crew are used to, right? Because they come from England, which is in the Northern Hemisphere. They travel down to the Southern Hemisphere, and it's completely going to be different season. So they are how far in their voyage when they get trapped in ice? couple days journey from landing on the Antarctic continent. They were really close to getting there and then they got trapped when they got trapped and it was grueling circumstances to try and get them uh, to get the ship freed, but it was to no avail. So Shackleton makes the decision to make camp and wait out the winter and reattempt it in the spring because pack ice shifts. Pack ice is not attached to the continent. It does shift. And so he's thinking we will probably migrate northward. We'll let the spring warmer weather settle in, and then we'll be able to free the endurance from the pack ice and continue our voyage. Imagine being at the will of pack ice, where you're traveling south, it comes, and then it starts to just drift, and you have no idea where you're going. Well, just imagine that feeling of you're going on this expedition. Things are going kind of well, all of a sudden your giant ship gets stuck in ice and you're like, great, I'm going to be stuck on this icy wasteland for the next several months. While we wait, we sit and we wait. wait. Shackleton had been on previous voyages to the Antarctic and he had heard many stories of men going mad from boredom. So he ordered his men to maintain a routine. So they were to do chores on the ship They had haircut contests with one another. They played soccer. They played hockey. They do all that they could to entertain themselves. They'd hang out on the ships and, and the, what they called the Ritz and they would party on the Ritz in their ship and try and live as normal of a life as they could. One of the other things that they did is they would have plays, which I was like, man, that is interesting. You've got 28 people to do like run a play and run shows and stuff. And they were doing that weekly, which oh, I probably four or five person plays. Yeah. I mean, it was anyway, I thought it was super interesting. Probably a grand production of Hamilton. Yeah. Hamilton. Let's see. Uh, the yeah. British loved Hamilton. <laughs> the play Hamilton did not. Or Hamlet. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure I'm, the British. I'm, probably very, Hamlet. <laughs> I'm sure the British were very interested in writing plays about american founding fathers i'm sure that they were very interested <laughs> i meant hamlet they were not embarrassed at all yeah so anyway they set up camp on the ship and as they continued to be stranded on the pack ice the pack ice continues to build and build and eventually they need to abandon their ship and their ship is destroyed due to the suffocating claws of pack ice Yeah, because what happens is it's getting colder. It's getting deeper into winter. Obviously, we know when water freezes, it expands and it crushed the ship. And the ship was built to be able to withstand a lot of this. And they were ready to get through a lot of pack ice. 
as they were chipping it away, they were able to make some progress. And then they said once they really got stuck, they described that the ice had turned into like concrete and there was no way that they were going to be able to free that ship. So what they do is abandon ship and then they set up what they call the ocean camp where it's a makeshift camp on the ice as they kind of float through. Um, And so what Shackleton does is he issues warm clothing and sleeping bags to all men. They had reindeer skin bags that went to the sailors and then the officers took wool ones. Shackleton being the leader that he is, makes sure that the sailors are taken care of while the officers, the higher ranked people, um, get the less desirable things so that their morale continues to, to be boosted. So the story that I heard that went along with that is Shackleton had them draw straws and I'll give you one guess how all the officers ended up with the exact same stuff and everybody lower ended up with the best stuff. Fixed it. Shackleton rigged the whole thing. Yeah. He fixed it so that he could keep morale high. So all the men thought it was fair, but he knew that at the end of the day, he was going to get the crappy sleeping bag. And he continued to make sacrifice after sacrifice for his crew because he religiously believed that unification would, in the end, keep them all alive. Once the ship sank, his dreams of crossing the continent were completely crushed. And rather than just moping around and being upset that his goals for the expedition were completely over... Uh, he quickly changed to having a new goal in mind. And that's one of the things that he talked about was as soon as something goes wrong, you have to then set your sights on something different. And that thing that he set his sights on was getting all of his men home safely. Let's paint the picture. You're in the Antarctic, the most hostile place on earth. Your ship has completely been destroyed you're on this frozen block of ice and you have essentially three lifeboats. That's it. That's all you have. No one knows that you're out there. You can't radio for help. You are completely left to your own devices to get home. And so days and weeks pass and they end up running out of their food that they had because they thought this was going to be a rather quick journey. They were left to eat penguins and seals And then eventually they ended up killing all the dogs that they took because they needed meat. They needed to survive. And they had no idea how long they were actually going to be there on that block of ice. None of the crew members were very fond of what they had to do. They had actually named each and every one of the dogs. And not only had they named all the dogs, they also had four puppies that were born during the time. But these were very extreme circumstances yeah the dogs had to be fed a seal a day all the dogs fed off of a seal a day and a seal a single seal could last much longer for the men so with the scarcity of food they just they couldn't do it they did consume the dogs it was what they had to do they shot them a handful at a time and consumed them and then would shoot more until they were gone. Yeah, that's really sad. The progress was slow 
Shackleton always wanted them to have a goal in mind. He always had a goal in mind for himself, and he wanted to make sure that the men felt like they were progressing. As they were starting to trek across the ice, the ocean camp, later they had patience camp. They set up different camps because they attempted to move closer to the ocean where they could launch those three lifeboats. But the progress got super slow as the weather started to get warmer because all of the snow that was had accumulated on top of the pack ice was becoming slushy and you're dragging all of the all of your boats, all your supplies. And once they had started moving, this is another example of Shackleton's thought process. Uh, their photographer had been taking a ton of photos and their frames were really big, pretty cumbersome. Shackleton knew that these were very important. So what Shackleton did was he told his photographer to pick out the 150 best photos, those they were going to keep, the rest Shackleton made him destroy. He didn't just have them leave the photos behind because he knew how important these photos were to the photographer. And he was worried that if there were some photos out on the ice, the photographer would risk his life in an attempt to secure the photos. Yeah, there are a lot of photos that did survive. This is 1915, and the photos were amazing for the time period. This was over 100 years ago, and the photos are great. They had a really exceptional photographer on board. So he knew his craft very well, and Shackleton just didn't want to risk this man uh, returning to trying to rescue these. So he ordered them destroyed. He knew what he was doing, too. He was really proud of what he did. He would also hang off the edge of the ship in order to get better pictures, that he would kind of jimmy-rig something up so he could get a picture of the ship as they were sailing. So there are some pretty fantastic pictures out there of this expedition. And video. He took a video of the ship actually being crushed. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even know that he had that capability. He did, yeah. So there's like photographer, I, I, videographer, yeah, whatever you want. I think it's like five or ten seconds, but you can just kind of watch as the ship kind of gets crushed. So their Which description how, of that moment is pretty awful and harrowing because that is their best chance of survival, and it's being crushed. And you can hear they said that you, it sounded like the ship was moaning and like it was literally dying, like a creature, just all of the timbers snapping and moaning as they're put under enormous amounts of pressure so that is interesting yeah that was a very low moment for those men of the expedition so they continue to move further and further north and the terrain gets more and more treacherous as they move northward the ice is becoming more fragile it's breaking so it's not just that they're traveling over flat ice they're traveling over independent floating sheets of ice. So they have to cross all these crevices to move from one sheet to the next sheet and continue to move northward. There was a time where they slept on the ice and then they could hear the ice cracking beneath them. And these are huge sheets of ice. So when it cracks, it can sound like gunfire. I mean, it sounds like things are exploding. After that night, they started sleeping in the boats. The time was nearing that they were going to be launching them into the sea. They were getting, yeah, they were getting closer and closer to the shore, which these are temperatures 
around and below zero degrees Fahrenheit. These are Celsius. Well, both. As things were warming up, <laughs> as they were true. getting closer to um, being able to launch the boats, the sun was finally out. That was one thing we hadn't mentioned was the amount of time that they spent stranded in Antarctica. They get essentially zero minutes of sunlight. They're not getting any sunlight that is direct. They get a little bit of light that kind of filters through, but they never have any sun shining on them during those periods. Uh, Once springtime starts to hit, things start to thaw. The sun is shining on the ice. It doesn't really ever get above freezing in temperatures, but it's with the sunlight, it was enough to uh, melt some of the snow and the ice into slush and things start thawing. Uh, It's salt water. It's got a lower freezing point than uh, regular water. And so even though it's not above freezing and the temperatures, things start thawing pretty quickly. Which that had me wondering as I was, as I was learning about Shackleton, I was researching this to free salt water. It has to be very, very, very cold. And when things would warm up and the layer of snow on top of the ice would begin to melt this would then in turn become clean drinking water because it would refreeze. And as it would refreeze, it would congeal and it would force the salt and the minerals downward. So they're able to scrape up this top layer of ice in order to melt it and make pure drinking water. Science. 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 Let's, Oh, I need to see if I can get a Bill Nye science (laughs) rules. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty funny. (laughs) The difference in the temperature of when salt water versus just regular water freeze is pretty significant. That's why they use salt on the roads to melt the snow and the ice. It lowers it significantly. So whenever you're buying salt or ice or there are some specialty types of snow melt, they have it rated to a certain temperature. And so that's just one bit you can throw in there. It is significant because it can be really, really cold, but salt still works extremely well. One salt mineral is one degree. Hmm. Is that how they rate it? No. Oh, <laughs> very good, Skylar, because I was trying to look that up and I couldn't, I couldn't look it up fast enough. So I'm glad you had that on. Uh, no, that's not true. <laughs> that's <laughs> baloney, dude. Oh, come on. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to tell me that because I would have, uh, I would have just let that happen. <laughs> yeah, it's good when I was going through an editing literal equals one extra degree Peak and then and then people would have started been like wow one salt mineral is one degree so <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to dump very much out so unless you're in Utah at this point they are 20 months into this expedition 20 months in the cold in the dark, barely surviving. They're living off of seal meat, which I'm sure tastes horrible. Penguin meat, which I'm sure also tastes horrible. And they are ready to launch their boats. There are some nearby islands known as Elephant Island. And Hayden, do you know why it's known? No, it's not because there's elephants on there, but do you know why it's called Elephant Island? Tell me why. Because of the elephant seals, I think. Okay, so there are types of elephants on the island. They're not African or Asian, they're seals. Yeah, it's it's named <laughs> it's named Elephant Island because of the elephant seals, which look on Google and look how ugly these things are. These are ugly animals. <laughs> Shout out to elephant seals. 
these are ugly animals, which <coughs> I, feel, I feel less bad about what we will discuss later. Elephant Island is 800 miles away from their current location. So, Hayden, talk to us about what happens when they launch for Elephant Island. All right. So, the, they get to the edge of this temporary shore that is this giant piece of ice that they've been on, and they're finally able to begin their destination home. What had been so slow moving was about to happen pretty quickly. So they launch their boats. One of the things that Shackleton requires of them is that they tie all of the boats together. The purpose in doing this was that if one of the boats was being tugged a certain direction, they would all go in that direction, that they wouldn't be split apart. He, at this point, this was kind of like an all or nothing gamble, that as they have 28 men, three separate lifeboats, we're all going to survive or we're all going to die together. And one of the things that they talked about was fearing a way breaching and coming down on either one of the lifeboats or the ropes that were holding them together because it would take them all underneath. This was a treacherous row to this island in the freezing cold water, freezing cold water, constantly splashing up into the ship. Men are getting frostbit. They, a lot of the men have dysentery at this point. So a lot of the men are sick. A lot of the men are getting frostbite. It was bad. At some point, uh, one of, I don't know if this was during this trip on the boat or on the next trip during of the boats, but one man goes to drink out of his metal cup and it tears some of his lip off because his lip freezes to the cup that he was drinking out of. I mean, the conditions down there are extreme. It makes you wonder how anybody could be drawn to Antarctica repeatedly for continual expeditions when stuff like this happens. Yeah, horrible. There were, they reported that some of the men's hands froze to the oars and they had to chisel their hands off of the oars. Yeah, so you also have to imagine that this is one of the stormier times in the Art- Antarctic region. And with these storms, they last days. And while you're out in sea, the waves start to turn. I believe the way that the water is moved ends up causing waves 15 meters to 25 meters high. So those are big waves. In lifeboats. In lifeboats. Not a ship. Lifeboats. How, do you know how long the lifeboats were? 15 feet, right? Yeah, I think the longest one that they had was about it's somewhere between like 22 and 25 feet. Who wants to talk about the destruction of the elephant seal colony? I do. Okay, I didn't read up on that, so this is this is learning for me. You're gonna laugh. They do eventually see land for the first time in over 490 days. When they do land, the men go crazy, like lun- lunacy. They're grabbing rocks and like just letting rocks run through their fingers and laughing maniacally, and they get so bored that they just start killing these elephant seals in mass numbers. Like they're just go up to these trusting seals. These seals have no known predators on land. So they're so trusting. And these men just go up and start beating the crap out of these seals and killing them in mass number. But the positive thing is none of these men were 
actually crazy. They weren't going crazy on each other. They were just going crazy on the seals. They were going crazy on the seals, which I used to feel kind of bad for the poor seals that died, but they're so ugly that I kind of don't feel bad anymore. <laughs> That's awful. Go look up what an elephant seal looks like. It's the most pathetic looking creature I've ever seen. Oh my gosh. I hope PETA doesn't come after you. I'm sure they're very graceful in the water where they should be. The, <laughs> the animals. They're, which they're, I guess that's the why animals. they're in the Antarctic because, yeah. Yeah, let's just put these eyesores out of the way where no one else lives. So one of the things that I had thought about was why Shackleton didn't stop that. A couple of the reasons could be, one, he didn't want to interrupt them and he just wanted to let them get it all out because they are essentially stir crazy. Like they have to be doing something. And my other reason was maybe he didn't want to get slaughtered with them. Like, I don't know how crazy these guys went during this period. I don't know. Those were my two thoughts, but either way, we'll stick it to him being a good leader and knowing that letting them get this out of their system was more important. Yeah. I would much rather let these men just kill these seals than start going at each other and tearing us apart. Hayden, talk to us, talk to us about elephant Island. What Elephant happened Island on Elephant Island? Totally uninhabited. I don't know that there were really any, there wasn't anybody that ever really stopped by there. Nothing, just rocks and seals. Rocks and seals, the occasional whalers that were in the neighborhood of the island. People knew it was there, it made the maps, that's great. Not very useful land. A pretty small island. And so really they're, was not a great situation. They would have certainly preferred to go elsewhere, but this was a great improvement in their situation compared to where they were at previously. Better than ice and floating into the sea. Yeah. And the fact that they hit land and didn't accidentally pass it, the fact that they were able to use the stars because, I mean, if you get a big enough storm, big enough clouds during the night, they would have had no chance. So they spend a short while on Elephant Island. As we mentioned, 497 days go by, and this is the first time they've set foot on solid land. This isn't the end of their journey because it's an uninhabited island. They still need to reach civilization. So Shackleton recruits two or three guys, Hayden? How many guys? Five men. He recruits five men. One of the interesting things is he asks for volunteers of who will hop into a lifeboat with him again and travel another, uh, what is it? 750 miles to get to South Georgia Island. South Georgia Island, which is inhabited. There's a small, this is actually, that's the same Island that they left from. That's where they left from. They're doing a nice big circle in the Antarctic, trying to get back to where they left from. One of the interesting things about that is it was said that as he asked for volunteers, every single man was willing So he takes his navigator, he takes one of the men who was known to be a troublemaker because he didn't want him causing problems with other men in the group and dividing men in the group while he was away. He also took the carpenter in the event that there was something he could do to help the the lifeboat um, last for their journey. And so they set sail to South Georgia, and they are on the sea for another 17 days. In these 17 days, they go through storms. They have to navigate the life raft or lifeboat in a certain direction because if they go completely north, 
the way that the the sea moves, the waves would end up capsizing their lifeboat. And so they have to head into like a northeast direction. That way their lifeboat doesn't get capsized. They also have to continually, what is it? I think there's like a 90 minute period of sailing and then they have like two or three hours off and they just kind of rotate as they head towards South Georgia. And in the last couple of days, they're actually moving extremely quickly. They're getting like 90 miles a day, which if they averaged that, they would have done it in about a week. But so they're moving really fast towards the end and then they're able to see land. We should note on this journey, they did have to sail through a hurricane on this journey to South Georgia Island in a lifeboat with five people. So they reach South Georgia Island. The whaling station is on the northeast side of the island and they land on the southwest side of the island, which they got to decide, do we hop back in the lifeboat and, and brave the seas again? Or do we trek over this uncharted island? No one's ever crossed this island before. They didn't feel that their life raft at this point was seaworthy and that they felt that putting it back in the water would be certain death. So they start preparing to traverse an uncharted island that the whalers on this island said was impossible, that going across the island by land is it's an unfeasible effort that you would be putting into it. And so Shackleton gathers two other men because the other two were in conditions that weren't they weren't going to be able to cross that island and so they flip that lifeboat over and they stay underneath there and Shackleton and the two other men head up the mountainside to go towards the whaling station they put nails that were in the boat so they dismantle the boat they take the nails and they stick them through their boots to use as I don't remember what the word is for it, but they turn their boots into cleats essentially so that they have more traction as they're crossing these glaciers. These are glaciers, not icebergs, by the way. They're called crampons. 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 And not to be confused. Not to be confused with with cramps. With cramps. (laughs) Not to be confused with cramps. (laughs) So they're trekking over this uncharted island, this frozen mountainous island and the men that are hiking with Shackleton are getting exhausted and they're begging Shackleton. We need to stop. We need to sleep. And Shackleton knew sleeping in these conditions in an open tundra could be the last thing they do. They could die from this. So Shackleton allowed the men to sleep. They begged for 30 minutes. Men fell asleep. He waited about five or 10 minutes and then he minutes. men up and told them that they had been asleep for 30 minutes and to get moving. And the men woke up refreshed as if they had slept the full 30 minutes and they continue moving forward. Belief is his most powerful weapon. Belief is powerful. So it takes 10 days charting this island, going through uh, frozen canyons over crevices, and they finally reach the whaling station so actually they waited seven days for good weather to start to trek and it only took them 30 hours to cross it was essentially yeah they 
hours. The only break that they had was that sleeping break. The rest of the time they were marching up there, they had to backtrack because they hit some crevices occasionally, but they were moving essentially the entire time to get to the whaling station that they had left from on the northeastern side of South Georgia Island. So it takes them a total travel time of 36 hours to reach the whaling station finally. And so Hayden, they reach the whaling station and what happens at the whaling station? This to me was like the most incredible thing, like this highlighted moment. They get up to the whaling station, they knock on the manager's door. Ernest Shackleton has met with and chatted with the manager here. And it's the same guy that opens the door. And essentially he's like, who the heck are you guys? Because they look so terrible. They've been starved, like have not had a bath. Like they, they've just been bathed by seawater everywhere. Yeah. They were in, they were in bad shape. Do you think they were eating less than 1500 calories? Yeah. Like they're suffering. So these men that this guy knew and everybody, I say everybody, these people knew who Shackleton was. And they just assumed that he had died. Shackleton knocks on his door and he comes to the door and is like, who are you? And then he said, my name is Shackleton. Oh, that moment would have been something and to see that guy's face. The, the manager was familiar with him, an expeditionist himself, and was shocked. He thought he was dead and he welcomed them inside and he housed them and took care of them. And, and uh, they slept for the night through. And Shackleton turned again to, I have men on Elephant Island. I need to rescue these men. But first, I also have men on South Georgia Island. We need to go get them real quick. So the three that they left on the southeast side where they had landed on South Georgia Island were rescued the next day. So he was pretty quick about getting to them. But the men on the Elephant Island was another story. Absolutely. So they had attempted to get these men off Elephant Island. It took them, I think it was their fourth attempt in a much larger vessel to rescue these men. So it took a total of four months between the time Shackleton had left Elephant Island to their rescue. Yeah, eventually I think they ended up succeeding with a tugboat from Chile that was loaned by the government that they were finally able to go get them. The other attempts... (laughs) Pardon me, do you mind if I borrow this for a minute? I have 28 men I need to rescue on Elephant Island. I'll be back in a hot second. Return doubtful. (laughs) what's incredible about that is the things that were preventing those other operations from being successful were weather and pack ice. But you have to remember, he just made the journey from elephant Island to South Georgia Island in a little life raft. And even with these bigger boats, it would have been suicide to continue those rescue attempts. I mean, that's just mind blowing. He took certain gambles. I would say there were calculated risks and a lot of the things that he did that ended up paying off big time. So when Shackleton had originally left Elephant Island and left his second in command in charge of the camp at Elephant Island, he told them if he had not returned within a couple of months to make for South Georgia Island. And it had been a total of four months, but those men stayed on Elephant Island because they had so much faith in Shackleton that Shackleton would make it back to them and rescue them. That is belief coming up again. That is being a good leader. So after four months, the men on Elephant Island are rescued. They're returned to London after how long had they been? Over two years on this expedition? Yep. 
over two years, they finally return home. Everyone thought they were dead. These people get back from the closest, like they are back from the brinks of death. And then they're enlisted. Immediately. Miraculously, they returned to London. Every single member of the Endurance survived. All 28 men survived, which the odds of survival was so stacked against them. It's amazing that they were able to all survive this expedition. Though they did not reach Antarctica, though they did not cross the continent, it is widely recognized as one of the most successful expeditions of all time. Shackleton's leadership is often talked about in conferences, things like that, because of how well he led these men. He had one mild insurrection that came up. It was an argument over the fact that, hey, you're not the leader anymore. You were the leader of the ship and the ship is gone. Well, he then gave a big speech and everybody fell back in line and followed him again. So we mentioned that there had been a troublemaker before. He was one of them uh, that tried a mutiny and it was not successful. He did not believe that since they had been on shore that Shackleton still had orders over them. And he was like, you know what? I'm sick of taking orders. I'm sick of listening to you. And Shackleton had kept a copy of the charter and read the charter. And because they were technically on shore, there was a clause in the charter that stated that he was still in fact in charge. And the men fell back in line and, and continued to follow Shackleton's orders. He really cared very much about his men. He didn't see men as expendable as other sailors may have seen members of their crew. And his desire to see everybody through this expedition and return home safely paid off. He was able to get everybody home. And that amounted to a ton of loyalty that these men had for Shackleton. Once the war ended, he was drawn back to the Antarctic. He had another goal. His goal this time was to circumnavigate the Antarctic continent. So he was going to go down and stay in a boat this time. He then asked for crew members, just like before. Eight of the members of the Endurance Expedition then signed up to return to Antarctica with Shackleton. If I'm gone for two years and I'm starving and I have to eat elephant seal and I'm cold, I don't think I'm going to go back. Uh, Yeah. Well, These men were just crazy hardcore. At what point would you have just wanted to give up completely on this expedition probably a pack guys (laughs) (laughs) like ooh, guys look there's ice in the water get out of here two years they endured through endurance we conquer yeah through endurance we conquer that is the family motto that ernest shackleton had originally his boat was named something else but he changed it to that and it certainly that motto for this expedition was definitely needed and for his life the most fitting of all the endurance Absolutely. Now Shackleton set out to circumnavigate the Antarctic continent on his way. Once he had approached South Georgia Island, they landed. He got back on the boat. He wasn't feeling well. He asked for a doctor and he actually died in the doctor's arms of a heart attack. When you're living life on the edge, life sometimes catches up to you. His wife, a very affluent lady, uh, requested that he be buried at the cemetery on South Georgia Island. I don't think there's anywhere else he would rather have been. No, and I think that was awesome of her to say that's his love, that's where he belongs, is down in the Antarctic. All right, guys. So thank you for tuning in to Finest Hours. 
We hope you enjoyed the show. Please give us a follow at our Instagram at finest hours podcast. Also like rate, subscribe and leave a comment underneath and tell us who you would like to learn more about or who you think has done an extraordinary thing. And we need to share that. And please send us an email, finesthourspod at gmail.com if you do not have Instagram to follow our social. But follow us and you'll be able to see all of our updates. We'll be coming back with you in a couple weeks with another story. Good day, mate. (laughs) That's the wrong one. You can use it whenever you want. (laughs) Thank you.